As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Congratulations, Jets fans. You made it through the 2020 season. Adam Gase did not. He has now been fired by the New York Jets. We are picking up the pieces here on Monday afternoon. Thanks for joining us, Tim McMaster, along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a rating and review on Apple if that's where you listen. Uh, Thanks for joining us on YouTube as well. A lot to get to. Christopher Johnson, some of the players spoke today um, about the direction of this team, a little bit about Adam Gase as well. We'll get to that. We're also going to talk about the search, which is underway. We'll give an update on that. But the the answer that everyone wants to know, Connor, I think, if the, especially if they tuned in last night to our uh, instant reaction YouTube show when Adam Gase was fired, you were in the parking lot at a chili somewhere in Connecticut. You told everyone you were going to go eat, probably baby back ribs once we were done. Me and Marissa now know that that didn't happen because Chili's was closed. So where did you end up eating dinner? And keep this fairly short because people want to hear about the Jets. <laughs> I will very sadly say that I'm not proud of where I ended up and ate last night. I am not happy. I, I'm not thrilled at the fact that I have to say that this is how uh, this little excursion went for me. Um, But I will say that I ended up after the Chili's was closed and there were no Applebee's or Fridays in the area. I was driving down the turnpike again and I was trying to find myself the, uh, the right place to end up hoping that there would be something open, something relatively healthy. Cause now I'm not getting Chili's. I'm not going to waste a cheat meal on something else somewhere healthy. I was like, all right, I'll just run into Subway. I can get the veggie delight, maybe grilled chicken, something on there. Walk in, the Subway is closed. And the only option in Milford, Connecticut at 1130 at night was McDonald's. So I my, my dinner on the way home from New England, very sadly, very unfortunately, was McDonald's. I ended up, I what also, which I didn't know this, this was something that, that existed. There are there are non full service McDonald's. Like, did you guys know that? Did you know that there are McDonald's that only have like half of the menu that are open? So this McDonald's, I was like, all right, 
I'll be able to find something I can do with McDonald's. I'll be able to find something I can make it work. I was like, all right, let's go with like a, uh, let's try to see if I can't get maybe a grilled chicken sandwich there, maybe a salad. There were no salads on this menu. There was no grilled chicken on this menu. My only option, I am not kidding you guys, like hand to God, was like a Big Mac, a McRib, or like something else. So what I ended up doing was like the buttermilk chicken sandwich or something like that, which was nasty. I got fries, which were actually pretty good. And I did get this just to try, and I forgot to go tell Bree that I, that I had two bites of it before I threw it out just to see what it tasted like. I did try the McRib. I did have two bites of the McRib to see what to see what it tasted like. And and I'll be honest with you guys, I uh, wasn't wasn't great. It uh, it was it was not not an enjoyable experience. Kind of like the 2020 New York Jets season, not an enjoyable experience. All right, let's move on to the Jets and on to the off season. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in the stream on Sunday night, but I want to get back to it as well, just for everybody that's tuning in on Apple as well. Just about Adam Gase, where it went wrong, all of the things that are involved in that. And I will say this, Connor, um, and we've mentioned a little bit before, um, but from my experience with it, the fact that there was no honeymoon from Adam Gase. This was bad kind of from the start. I remember the introductory press conference. I remember at the time, it was before we had podcast here at The Athletic, um, I was at MLB where I worked before I came here to The Athletic, and I worked with a whole bunch of Jets fans. And I remember being there that afternoon and Literally from the moment, and it's obviously a famous introductory press conference now because of his eyes dancing around and all the memes that have come from it. But before it even got to that point, I remember the dread in the air of Jets fans. Oh my goodness, I can't believe we hired this guy. I don't even want to watch this press conference. I mean, the negativity before he even spoke a word as the Jets head coach was really overwhelming. It's not like anything I've ever seen before. Um, And he just never was able to overcome that ever it was it was tough man i it it's tough to say like where it all went wrong and and we did we touched upon this a little bit when when we spoke last night and i was in the car which is new um we've touched upon this countless times i think throughout this entire process of Adam's going to go. Adam's not going to go. Is he going to stay? Is there anything he can save his job? The Jets have decided. The Jets haven't decided. Could he be fired today? Could he not be fired? You know, all all of this stuff of, of where it's all gone wrong. We, we've broken down ad nauseum. But I, I think what, what ultimately did Adam in, and a lot of what did Adam in, was, was like you said, from the beginning, it just kind of felt doomed. It just kind of felt off. It just kind of felt like... It was never really going to work. And and I don't even go back to like the, the press conference with the eyes. And I don't go back to like all of that stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, that's not where I personally turn my attention to. That's not where I focus on. I go back to even the Jets coaching search to find him. You know, when, when the Jets had decided to move on from Todd Bowles and, and the Jets had decided, all right, we're going to go in another direction. This is not the head coach that we want. We want innovative. We want offensive minded. We want game change you know we want we want Sean McVay is basically what the Jets went into that offseason looking for fans had kind of singled out and media like fans and media like had kind of singled out who they thought was going to be like the perfect fit for the Jets head coach and and they saw Mike McCarthy out there in uh in in Green Bay you know who had just been let go but he had a Super Bowl on the resume and the Jets haven't been to a Super Bowl and haven't won or been to a Super Bowl in 50 years right they saw Cliff Kingsbury as that like young 
uh, sassy, sexy, offensive-minded guy that, you know, like, wow, would they really hire a dude who hasn't really been a successful college head coach, but he's got these brilliant offensive minds, brilliant uh, innovation, we're going to bring him in. They saw him, and, and fans started falling in love with him. They saw Matt Rule, and we're like, you know what? Maybe Matt Rule can work. That would be a good one. Baylor, great mind. You know, let's go with Matt Rule or, or all of these other, like everyone. Adam was never realistically in the running. He was he was never somebody that fans and, and media alike were thought of as a realistic option. It was never there. It was never pitched to me. It was never really pitched to anyone. So when the Jets decided to hire Adam Gase, it was almost like, why pick him after he failed in Miami based off of what is or what were believed to be significantly better candidates? And because of that, Adam never got the honeymoon, the honeymoon period that so many other coaches, basically all other coaches are granted. You know, think about when Mike McCagnin, he was a general manager, but when Mike McCagnin replaced John Edzik, Mike McCagnin could do no wrong for the first two years of his regime because he got that benefit of the doubt. Because he wasn't John Edzik. Adam never got that when he replaced Todd Bowles. He didn't get, well, you're not Todd Bowles, so we're going to be fine. Adam was looked at as, we didn't want you to be this team's head coach. We don't think you were the right man for this job. Prove to us that you are. Show us that we're wrong and the Jets are right. And it was almost doomed from the beginning. Because then obviously you have the press conference that doesn't necessarily captivate anyone. You then have... The one and seven start. You have the Sam Darnold mono. You have them bounce back with that six and two season. But at that point, there's already banners being flown around and 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 a, a certain media outlet that is that is just going above and beyond to rip everything that he does simply because that guy is not not you know getting talked to anymore. And that Adam had had played a role in firing his number one source within the organization and and Heimerdinger and and so he's not being talked to. So now he's you know he his he has such a big following that he's kind of turning people and and I mean Adam breathes wrong and it's not that oh Adam took a breath to keep his life alive it's Adam took a breath and he's polluting and really look at all the CO2 that Adam's releasing into environment and that just riled people up and still Adam was able to finish the season six and two kept people to fight kept people involved kept people going but then this year happens and there's no excitement there's no life and and it just it failed and and there's a bunch of reasons why things went south i mean adam was not the best leader he was not somebody that was able to captivate a room um he was never somebody that was going to stand in the middle of a huddle and scream and yell and get his guys fired up you know the type of coach that adam is and and it's worked with other people it's not like this is just a failure of of an op- of of what can work but the adam's the type of coach that like he he's going to outscheme you he's not going to get people to, to uh, run through a brick wall. He's going to out-scheme the guy on the other sideline. And the issue with him was that he was so married to that scheme. And he was so married, and we said this last night, like he was so married to that offense. He was so married to what worked at one point in Denver and making it work again in New York. And it was never about what Jamison Crowder could do. It was never about what Sam could do. It was never about what Quincy and Nunwood could do. It was always about how can Adam show the world that this the system that he built and ran so successfully in Denver was not broken, was not figured out, but could work again. And and it came at the expense of his players. And and the one thing that I, I wrote this in, in the column that we ran last night on Adam's firing is that there was this perception that was built out there about Adam, that he was this megalomaniac, this psychopath, this crazy person, this emotionless, uh, just, just troll. And, and, that really, I mean, 
I can't stress enough, and people don't care about this. I'm not trying to sing like praises and be like, oh, you should feel bad about Adam. He deserved to lose his job. He deserved to be fired. He deserved to be let go. He was not the right coach. The Jets should not have hired him. He was a bad hire. It shouldn't have been the one that they picked. They made a mistake in hiring him. But he was not somebody like Rich Kotite, who was last one in, first one out. He was not somebody that just gave in like uh, Jay Gruden did in Washington last year. He was not somebody that was just kind of like, all right, I'm losing my job. I'm just going to collect a paycheck till I'm like, oh, and then I'll go on a two-year vacation. He cared so deeply about trying to get this to work. He spent so many countless hours trying to figure out a fix, trying to get this thing turned around, trying to make it all all happy and, and happy-go-lucky and great again. And I think at one point, honestly, he probably did figure out what would work. But he was so caught in that rut of of overthinking and overanalyzing everything that then he unfixed a potential fix and and it didn't work. I mean, look, it, it didn't. It, it was it was two years that the Jets have flushed down the drain. Two years of potentially developing Sam Darnold. Two years of potentially taking this franchise from step one of a rebuild to step four, and instead it's all back to step one again. But if there's anything to hang your hat on, and if there's anything to believe in, and if there's anything to make you think, yeah, you know what, the Jets are going to be headed in the right direction. It's that they have said they have a guy now that Christopher Johnson said, this is the general manager we've been looking for for years. And they have given full control to him and said, turn this around. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get into that as well. As far as the offensive rankings for the Gase era, just to sum up the failures on that side of the ball, which he was supposed to uh, be especially points per game, 16.3 last yards per game last Passing yards per game last, rushing yards per game 29, third down percentage last. That is in his, in his two years, and of course, Darnold's regression and all of that. Um, you know, you said it in your story where you talked about his human side and reaching out to him, Connor, uh, texting him up questions and and oh, yeah, how he was yeah. very helpful. Um, it's in your story. If you want, you want to tell it, you can tell. It, yeah, but, yeah, that's fine. Uh, like, go for I think it. that this is what like. I, I thoroughly enjoyed about covering Gase. And I know I had like these assholes on Twitter. We were like, oh, unbiased, he was your friend. I was like, dude, I just wrote 1,900 words eviscerating the guy. I put one human human element in the story to show like, this is who he was as a, he was a bad, he was a bad head coach. He was a bad football coach for the Jets, but this is who he was as a person. Is that like, that was the other thing is that Adam got this thing where the players hated him. And he was, he hated, he hated meetings with something that was out there and he hated teaching. And I was like, it's so egregious because, like, the one thing that he really enjoyed, the one thing that Adam truly did enjoy was he loved, like, teaching somebody some teaching somebody something that he knew well. And for me, like, I've always said, I'm a diehard football fan first. Like, I grew up where it was on Sundays. I started with the ESPN pregame show 11 to 12, the Fox pregame show 12 to 1, the 1 o'clock game, 4 o'clock game, NFL primetime Sunday night game. Like, that's how I grew up. All my friends come over. My mom's a football nut. Dad's a football nut. Like that's that's was my family. But I didn't play on the NFL level, you know? And and I didn't play on the college level, you know? So I I I like to think I understand the game and I know the game on a fairly advanced level. But when you compare the way that I know the game, or you know the game, or Marissa knows the game, or any anyone who has never played knows the game, you well, actually I shouldn't say that. Marissa knows her exes knows better than I do. Um, but like when you compare like those those people to coaches, it's different. And I remember watching Adam's first year as head coach, the the Eagles were playing the Packers on Sunday Night Football, and Aaron Rodgers had thrown an interception to close the game, and it didn't make sense why he went the way he did. And I was like, I looked at the play, and I think the way that I thought was like, 
almost like, you know, it was always a slant. And I thought it was like, oh, this guy jumped the route. And I just happened to reach out to Adam and be like, hey, do you happen to be watching the game? This is what I think went wrong. Am I am I right or am I wrong? And he immediately cut the clip, emailed it to me, called me and went through part by part what happened what went wrong, what should have happened, the the how it happened in the game, why it happened in the game, why it wasn't necessarily the bad play call, but it was actually this wrong court, like all of these little things. And it was cool to like see the game through his eyes. Somebody who, I mean, look, bad head coach, but he still understands the game on a different level to see the game through his eyes and be taught the game in that way, shape and form. And I think that if things had gone differently in New York, that's the coach that fans would have seen on the podium, you know? I think that's the coach the fans would have seen when they went out and they they saw him at uh, uh, Jets house or whatever the thing where the Jets have the players and stuff in the offseason. That's the one that, you know, if the Jets did meet and greets and a fan got a chance to meet out, that that's the kind of coach that you would have gotten. You just, you never got a chance to see it because as we talked about, it was doomed from the beginning. He wasn't given a honeymoon period. It was always, you know, kind of being attacked in different, un, unprofessionally attacked in certain aspects by certain media members. He was, you know, it, it, was, it was a shame. It was a shame because I got a chance very, you know, just to see that through two years, to see that side of Adam. And it was always like, I remember telling him like, man, people would love to see this. Like, why, like you should, you should, like, this is, this is good. Like, this is different. This is not what most, this is not what Todd, I had a good relationship with Todd too. I used to talk to him all the time, but like, I'd ask him, I'd ask the same question to Todd, be like, what went wrong here? And Todd'd be like, oh, good, good defensive play. You know, like, so to have somebody go above, like, Adam was always willing to do that. And he was willing to do that to anyone who asked. He was willing to do that on the sideline of practices. He was willing to do that if you had reached out to an email or a text. Like, that's the type of person he was. It's just unfortunate that that not enough people saw it. And they didn't see it for a myriad of reasons. Now, again, me saying that does not defend out. You shouldn't feel like bad Adam Gase lost his job. I mean, he was, he was not the right one to be hired. He was not the right person for this one. It was just one of those things where you kind of wish it worked out a little better. Because if it worked out a little better people would view Adam a hell of a lot different than the way that they view him now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. uh, Next up, we wanted to cover uh, Christopher Johnson spoke today. Uh, He spoke about a lot of things, but the one kind of uh, theme that he kind of went back to numerous times, Connor, is something that you wrote a story about that that came out late last night as well. And that is the man that's going to make this next hire is not Christopher Johnson. It's not Woody Johnson. They're going to have to okay it. But the man that's going to lead these interviews, that's going to lead the charge and is going to pick his guy is Joe Douglas. Yeah, and let, let's say I, I was stunned at this uh, this outcry when like Christopher has final say, like Christopher Johnson has final say, and people were like, 
what? How is Christopher Johnson a <laughs> final say? What do you mean? I thought you said that Joe Douglas is running the search. I thought you said Joe Douglas is leading the Joe Douglas is going to get his guy. What do you mean he has finals? He owns the team, dude. Like, like Christopher, he owns it. He owns the whole shebang. He, he's, he, that's, that's him. It's the New York Christopher Johnsons, right? The New York, it was the New York Woody <laughs> Johnsons until he headed it off to Christopher Johnson. Like it is like, that's it. It, it is, it is his football team. So he's going to have final say in everything. Always. If he wants to raise beer prices, it's Christopher Johnson. Like he has final say. That's what you get when you own something. Now, with that said, this search is Joe Douglas. It's going to be Joe Douglas's opinion who carries the most weight. Jaime, the team's president, is going to be involved. Christopher, obviously, is going to be involved. They're all going to be in the meetings together. They're all going to be involved in in the guys that are being in. They're all going to be involved in scheduling the interviews, and they're all going to be in the interviews together. But as we've been saying for a very long time, it is Joe Douglas's show. It is Joe Douglas who's calling the shots. It is Joe Douglas who is going to eventually identify the guy that he believes is the team's head coach, who should be the team's head coach. And he has green light from ownership that if he believes that is his guy, that 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 Christopher that Joe Douglas goes through this whole thing and says, "Look, I believe this is the right dude." He has full green light to do whatever he takes to get it done, and then it's going to be done. And that guy will be the Jets head coach, unless that guy ends up getting a job elsewhere and prefers to not coach for the Jets. Now, I think there was a lot that Christopher said that that came out that that backed that. I mean, he basically said that Chris. I mean, he he gushed about Joe Douglas like. Like I, w- I wish, I wish Bree talked about me like the way that like Christopher talked about Joe. I mean, it was wild. Like he was. This is the general manager that that we've been looking for for years. You know that's that's a that's a ringing endorsement. You know, I mean, I, I like I've said this, and and we wrote it in the story last night. We've said it on this podcast before. It's been written before. Joe has Christopher's full trust. Joe has Christopher's full belief. And and what Joe says goes right to Christopher's heart. There's no second guessing from Christopher when Joe says anything. There is no, well, I think when when Joe says something, Joe's word is almost taken as gospel. And he's going to be the one that, that eventually identifies and picks this team's next head coach while getting some help from Jaime and Christopher, but it's going to be Joe Douglas. He's going to be the one running the draft. He's going to be the one signing the free agents. And Christopher basically said today that he believes without a doubt that he, Joe Douglas, is going to get the Jets headed in the right direction. That Joe Douglas is going to be the right one to get this thing moving. And I think for, we asked him when, when we said like, oh, Christopher, our, you know, why should fans, I think it was Andy Vasquez who asked the question, is that why should fans have faith that you guys are going to get this right? And what Christopher said in in more words was basically, Joe Douglas. That's basically why should fans have faith the Jets are going to get it right? Why should fans believe the Jets are going to have this one turnaround? Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas is why. And the one major thing that I know fans are going to absolutely love when they hear this, and I had heard it a little bit ago, and I'm like, it's it's like it's the one thing that fans are going to go nuts for, and they're going to be so happy, and 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 they're going to scream from the rafters now, is that the organizational structure that I see no big deal in, but fans care so so much about the whole head coach here gm here owner here and head coach reports to owner and gm reports to owner and gm is not boss a head coach the jets are considering changing that now it's going to be head coach specific you know what i mean so like 
it's under consideration. Christopher Johnson's not close to it. He's opening to it. He's considering he, there's a, I think there's probably a better chance than not that the structure changes where the head coach reports to the GM and then the GM reports to the owner. I think that there is a better chance than not that it happens. But I think what Christopher said is me when he says it's, it's in discussion and it's being considered what he's leaving open, open for interpretation is that there are some coaches out there that might just have, like, it might just work better where Joe says, you know what? Yeah. You know, uh, hype, this is totally hypothetical, but you know, like Harbaugh just wants the direct line to the owner instead of going through the middleman. So they'll go, he'll go there. Or, or this coach would rather have the direct, the direct line to the owner, or this coach would say, you know what? I'd rather not go directly to there. I want to have the structure of head coach GM or I'm um, sorry, owner GM head coach. Like there might be this specific situation, but that organizational structure that everyone cares so much about and the organizational structure that everyone loses their mind over, like that is also up to be changed. It was Woody Johnson who put it in originally. He was the one who wanted it. Christopher Johnson has absolutely, he he trusts Joe, again, he trusts Joe Douglas so much that he has absolutely no problem changing it to have the head coach report to the GM and the GM to the owner. Now, whether that happens or not, it's going to be determined by who the Jets actually hire. But the fact that it's up for discussion and it's something that the Jets are considering, that's a, that's a, I mean, that should put a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people at ease. There is another organizational change coming, uh, and that was asked of Christopher today, too, and that is his brother coming back. In a couple of weeks, Woody Johnson is going to be back uh, in this country, and he is the overall you know, owner of this team. So what happens then? How does Woody's impact affect this team? Does he continue to let Christopher run the show and just kind of look from afar, or do you think he kind of starts to meddle, for lack of a better word? Yeah, right. People forget what it was like when Woody was this team's owner. People I don't think forget. they do. <laughs> no, I, no, they do because I, I've seen tweets out today that are like, I can't wait for Woody to get back. Ooh. I guess you forget about how you're moving forward with a team and then suddenly you go and you trade for Tim Tebow, right? Because that wasn't that wasn't Rex. That wasn't Rex. That wasn't Tannenbaum. That was that was Woody. And And you forget what it's like when you go into free agency and your owner wants to make a splash because he's tired of the team across town getting headlines. So you give a billion dollars to an old corner who used to be very good with you, but you realize there's only one year left where he's going to be pretty okay. And then it's going to go downhill. But in order to sign him, you need four years and the owner steps in and says, no, I want Darrell Revis. You forget how much moves like that put you back. You forget how much things like that change. You look, Christopher gets a bad rep for no reason. Like I, 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 I get that like the, the it's well, hiring Gates would be the one that's the hate. The hate for Gates has polluted this team's like the fan base's perception of what Christopher Johnson is like. It's 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 absurd. Like this guy, the and Costello actually tweeted this recently, and it's, it's probably the perfect way to term it is like the, the issue with Christopher has never been meddling. The issue with Christopher is he's not he's not Dan Snyder. He's not uh, Khan, the guy in, in Jacksonville now said, I'm going to have control personnel it's it's never been like i want this guy hired like his brother was his thing was he just put the trust in the wrong people that he trusted mike mccagnan that was a mistake he trusted adam gates that was a mistake he believes he's got it right now with joe douglas and he's going to put his trust there but when woody comes back christopher's not going anywhere and that's a good thing for jet fans like that's a very good thing for jet fans you have an owner that is so relatable to players right now that that he's literally giving his cell phone number to his players and saying, if you ever need anything, social justice issues, team issues, you're worried about something, you're upset about something, call me, text me, let me know. That's the owner the Jets have. Jerry Jones isn't doing that. 
Like Woody Johnson didn't do that. John Mara is not doing that. Christopher Johnson is. He's somebody who is going into the league owner meetings and looking at all of the other owners, all the other owners who are who have money on their minds and they want this and saying, can we just stop and listen to our players? Just stop this, this BS about TV deals and stop this BS about national anthem this. Listen to our players. Our players are upset. Our players are hurting. Our players have problems that they want us to listen to. Can we just listen to our players? Everything will get better. Like, that's the type of owner the Jets have running the show right now. And yeah, he made some mistakes as a first-time guy calling the shots where he kept McCagnan instead of firing him when he did. Um, he went with Adam Gase believing he was the offensive-minded and was wooed a little bit by Peyton Manning's phone call. All of these things are problems. All of these things are issues. But they are things that he learned as a first-time owner that he's not going to make the mistake again. And he's not going to go anywhere when Woody comes back. He's not going to disappear. This isn't going to be like back when when Christopher was just kind of occasionally at Jet Games. You know, he's going to have a role. What I believe is that, and it's kind of what Christopher alluded to, is that he's going to remain in day-to-day control of the Jets, where Christopher will still be the one who's kind of there every there every day. Christopher is the one who's probably going to be having more say than not. He's going to be the one that's always informed, immediately informed. But Woody, as the true owner of the Jets is going to have final say. So like, it's one of those things where, you know, everyone wants to talk about, you know, the head coach reports to the GM and the GM reports to the owner. What it would end up being like is that, that you know, the whole day-to-day control of it's all Christopher's. Then when something major is going to happen, like a GM change, like a head coaching change, it'll be fed up to change about, hey, Woody, this is what we're thinking about doing. This is what we want to do. What do you think? And Woody will say, yeah, we'll sign off on it. And Woody's not going to step in and be like, no, I don't want that to be done. It's probably going to be mostly, yeah, Christopher, I trust you. You do what you want to do kind of thing. But Woody's just going to be more privy to all of this than what he was known, uh, obviously, than the last four years because he's been overseas and, and been focusing on that job. But it'll be, it won't be like, Chris, like basically, Woody's not coming back and Christopher's disappearing. This is still going to be Christopher's show. Christopher's still going to have day-to-day control. It's just the final, final say is going to be Woody Johnson. And hopefully that's just the the rubber stamp say and whatever they decide, yes. he just says. Wes okay. Masterson just said this. It's perfect. The ultra final say. That's the thing is that Christopher has final say. Woody's going to have ultra final say. That's it. How many people does it take to say, yeah, do it. Uh, all right. Let's move on to uh, the search. Um, which is probably the the thing that people are most interested in now, obviously. And we have a little more information than we did last night when we were talking about that. And that is that the Jets have officially put in requests for the NFL guys, right? Because the college guys, you don't have to put in the official request for. So we'll find out when interviews are happening with the, you know, the Matt Campbells, the Lincoln Rileys, the Jim Harbaugh, if he doesn't find that extension with Michigan through 2026. Uh, but the coordinators, you have to get permission from their teams. Um, and right now that's four guys, Tennessee Titans offense coordinator, Arthur Smith, Chiefs OC, Eric Bieniemy, Bills uh, OC, Brian Dabble, and then one defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus of the Colts. So Connor, when you look at these four guys, there's no surprises there, right? These are kind of the four names that have been circulating around the NFL. These are the four names that all the teams looking for head coaches are going to want to interview. Does one of them stand out to you? Yeah, uh, the one that stands out to me and the one that if I was running this search, I would say he is priority number one, two and three for me. And and I, I just I like everything I've read about him. I like everything I've heard about him. I like his backstory. I like his 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 uh, body of work. And it's it's Brian Dabble, the, the Bills offensive coordinator. I mean, I I am under, you know, the, the other thing that Christopher stressed about this search and, and I think it was 
I'll be honest, like just just last before we transition here, I don't think like I I don't know what note Christopher didn't hit on this conference call we just had. I mean, he obviously it's now about fulfilling it. It's now obviously it's all about moving forward with this. It's all about, you know, not just what you say, but what you do. Like the Jets actually have to do all of these things now. But everything that Jet a Jet fan would want to hear, like Christopher said it. You know, he said Joe Douglas is picking this team's head coach. He said when Woody comes back, he's going to have a final say, but I'm still going to be here day to day. He said when it comes to Sam Darnold, who we'll get to in a bit, I would like to see him here, but that's not my decision. I'm giving that to the coach and I'm giving that to the GM. I will not meddle with it. I mean, he said, he said, I'm open to changing the organizational structure. Like everything that a Jet fan would want to hear, he checked every single one of the boxes And it includes also the search for this team's next head coach, where it was not, I want the sexy offensive-minded guy like when they hired Adam Gase. It wasn't like, oh, well, we're going to go with this route with the, or I want the offensive-minded guy like Adam Gase, or Rex Ryan, which was the big, sexy, brash guy, which was going to take headlines. It wasn't about any of that. He said, I don't want offensive-minded. I don't want defensive-minded. I want a head coach. And as what players kind of stress, where we talked to Connor McGovern and he said after Christopher and, and Joe Douglas met with them, they said they're looking for the CEO type. That's what they want. They want somebody who's going to have his hand in the offense. He's going to have his hand in his defense. If there's an issue here, they go there. If there's an issue there, he goes there. It, it, he's, he's involved in everything. He is the team's manager. He has ultra, ultra, ultra final say when it comes to like the roster of this team. So I, I, that was a good sign. And so when you start to look through the players that the Jet, or the coaches that the Jets are going to be interviewing, the Jets are going to be out there, you want to find that. You want to find not the offensive-minded, defensive-minded, but you want to find the head coach. For me, I still lean towards the CEO type with a specialty somewhere or the CEO type with a body of work. So when you are when you mention someone like Eric Bieniemy, right? Clearly trained underneath one of the best guys in Andy Reid. Um he has had, you can't fault the success that that Chiefs organization has had. But I tend to lean another way from Biennemi just because he has no experience at all working with quarterbacks. That's something that I would value. You know, the, the quarterback's a big position. The Jets are either going to have to rebuild Sam Darnold or start from scratch with Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. You know, it's one of those two routes that they're going to have to go. So I would prefer a head coach that just has some, he doesn't have to be a quarterback whisperer. You know, you don't need Sean McVay. You don't need Cliff Kingsbury. You certainly don't need Adam Gase. But you would kind of want somebody, I would think, that has some experience, whether it was he played quarterback or, you know, he once was a quarterback's coach before going here, was an offensive. You know, a, that that would be my particular route, which is why I, I don't really think Eric, because he doesn't have the experience working with the quarterbacks. Um, Arthur Smith is one that I do like, obviously, with the Titans. He's another one I like a lot from these ones that the Jets have interviewed. But the one that I always just keep going back to is Brian Dabble. And the reason that I go to him is, is I love how he's made his way around the NFL, right? I mean, he started as that he coached in college for a little bit, but he started his NFL coaching career in 2000. He has since coached for every single team in the AFC East. So he knows the division. He's worked underneath uh, Bill Belichick with the Patriots. That's a big feather in your cap. He's worked underneath Sean McDermott with the Bills, another big feather in your cap. He has the experience working with quarterbacks, but he's not necessarily the quarterback whisperer, right? Like, it's not like that's all he does. Like he he's one of those, like he's a, He's worked and he's coached on so many different levels that he understands how all different parts of a team works. And if you want the, man, that's impressive story, it's Josh Allen. When Josh Allen came out of Wyoming, he was the most unpolished 
build a quarterback. You like all these tools, but holy hell, he's got to be built from the ground up, both with his throwing motion, with his ability to read a defense, with his footwork, with his mechanics. I mean, everything needed to be fixed. His first year as a rookie, Allen completed 52.8% of his passes and threw for 2,074 yards with 10 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and he added another 631 on the ground and eight touchdowns. He was not a quarterback. He was an athlete playing quarterback. He was a big physical guy with a cannon for an arm that was out there under center trying to make plays. And most of the time he made his best plays with his legs. When you look at what Allen did this year, in my opinion, he's league MVP. I I would make Josh Allen the league MVP. 69.2% of his passes completed. 4,500 passing yards, 37 passing touchdowns, 10 interceptions, another eight rushing touchdowns on the ground and 421 rushing yards. That's everything that I would want in a potential head coach experience in the division, Uh, a guy who has paid his dues in the NFL over the last 21 years, a guy who has experience developing a quarterback, but it isn't the only thing that he did. To me, that is the guy. That is the guy the Jets should go out there and get. Now, the flip side of this coin is obviously like the Jets aren't the only head coaching job out there, right? I mean, like the Jets can offer him a boatload of money and the the, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars can offer him more and he might want to go work with Trevor Lawrence instead of of whatever the Jets do. He might choose to go back to the Bills one more year and try to get a Super Bowl, knowing that he'll just be just as hot of a candidate next year as he is this year. He could go to the Chargers to work with Herbert. He could go to Houston to work with the Texans or to work with Deshaun Watson. Like there's a bunch of different things that he could potentially do and a bunch of different things that could dictate what route the Jets go. But I do like Brian Dabble. And if I'm going second place, now we're just going to go with who's out there. I, uh, the, again, Matt Campbell, I like a lot more. Fitzgerald, I like a lot more than some of these other guys the Jets have requested interviews for. But if we're just talking strictly about the ones that they filed interview requests for, the other one that I'm very intrigued with is Ar- Arthur Smith, the Titans offensive coordinator. Like there's something there that just, I would personally like, I mean, the Jets, obviously they requested an interview. I would like to talk to him. I would like to see what his philosophies are because he, that Titans team was never really one that anyone considered to be a powerhouse. You know, they weren't a team that anyone considered to be legitimate. And they kind of came out of nowhere last year in large part because of their offense with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry and made the playoffs and won some playoff games. And, and Verable is a big part of that. He's a player's coach. He's a guy everyone loves playing for, but he's defensive minded. So the offensive side of the ball, that's Smith and, and uh, Henry running for 1500 yards and 16 touchdowns in 2020, then going for 2027 and 17 this year, Ryan Tannehill going from a complete bust with Adam Gase to suddenly not only a guy that looked like a franchise quarterback last year, but threw for 33 touchdowns and like 10 interceptions with a 10 and five record this year. Like those are like, those are again, big feathers in guys caps. And and I don't know as much about Arthur Smith to be like, okay, his past is he's done this and he's done that. He's a great game. This he's a great game that he's, he's actually has experience on the defense of the body. Like, I don't know enough about him yet, but he would be somebody I'm very interested in talking to, but if you loop in college coaches, past coaches, everyone they're going to on the top of my list from right now until he signs either with the Jets or elsewhere, it's Brian Dabble. I, th- I think that he would be the perfect, perfect hire for the Jets. I, I, I genuinely do believe that. And he also looks just like Joe Douglas, which is another another positive. I've seen the uh, the Spider Man memes already on Twitter. It's great. Um, the one thing that concerns Dable, me, by the way, I keep saying Dable. Dabble, yeah, Dable. Said, yeah, it's Dable. My I, I screwed you up too. I think I led you down that path. Um, the the thing I'll, that concerns the next like ten years to, to get it right. Let's right? hope yeah. so. Let's We're shadowing. So. Yeah, yeah, you like that? 
Uh, the thing that concerns me about the college guys in this instance, um, and not Harbaugh because obviously he's proven himself at the NFL level, long playing career in the NFL, all that stuff, but I don't think he's really in the mix. But Ryan, Lincoln Riley and Matt Campbell, both of those guys, you know, all the way up through the college ranks, no real NFL experience. Even Cliff yeah. Kingsbury, who was only a college coach, had a five-year career as a quarterback uh, in the NFL and just knew, you know, the rope. So th- that concerns me a little bit about those guys. I think I would lean towards, I'm not against hiring college coaches if they have some NFL experience in their past, yes. but these guys don't. And that, it just worries me. It's a different animal. I mean, you're dealing with yeah. pros, they're getting paid. It's a whole, it's a whole different thing. Um, than guys you handpicked going into their living rooms and convincing their parents they want to play for you. You know, it's, it's just a different thing. Um, let's move on to Sam. Uh, we've gotten through this far into the podcast, almost what, 45 minutes without talking to Sam about Sam. That's got to be a record. Um, the future is obviously very much in doubt. Sam spoke today. He said, I want to turn this thing around. I want to stay here, hopefully for the rest of my career. And Christopher Johnson gave him the, uh, you know, kind words, lots of encouraging words, actually saying that he hopes that Sam's around. But then Christopher Johnson also said it's not his decision. It's going to come down to not just Joe Douglas, but it's going to come down to whoever they hire as the head coach. And I got to believe at this point, Connor, we probably have seen Sam Darnold throw his final pass for the Jets. You should. I mean, you should have. Like, it's painful watching this guy play quarterback. Like, it really is. I know they were like, moments but there's always moments with Sam he's an athletically talented kid there's going to be one or two throws every single game he plays because he is a professional NFL quarterback where you say wow or you say oh or you say nice but what has prevented Sam through three years from being a guy who is athletically talented to a guy that you can say without a doubt he is my franchise quarterback is that he is so ridiculously he has said it himself inconsistent so you get that touchdown pass to Herndon then you get the agreed the two egregious interceptions that he threw which resulted in one resulted in seven points from the Patriots and the other one resulted from basically the Patriots running so much time off the clock that the game was over like it's that's who Sam is and I don't know like I I will say this and I've said it before I've said on the podcast he will get better with a better coach he will get better if you surround him with more talent, he will get better. If you put these better pieces around him, you give him a better offensive line weapons, like all that's, he will improve, but you don't know if he's going to improve from or improve into Drew Brees, or is he going to be Kirk Cousins? You don't know if he's going to be Ryan Tannehill, or is he going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick? You just don't know. And you can't look past the fact that this guy finished this season with the worst quarterback rating in the NFL. Carson Wentz finished with 72.8 and and, uh, Sam Darnold finished with 72.7. Like, that's not good. Like, that is the worst quarterback rating of everyone in the NFL. Joe Flacco, with the same talent, the same coaching, the same offensive line, played better. And I just don't understand. I just don't know how you can like Sam as a person. You can like the physical traits that he has. You can can believe that he's going to be better. But I don't know how you can bank your organization's future on him unless... You evaluate Zach Wilson, and unless you evaluate Justin Fields, and Joe Douglas says, I do not believe either of these guys are franchise quarterbacks. I believe Fields is a product of the players that are around him and had one lightning in a bottle game against Clemson. And I don't believe that Wilson is going to be able to do it against the top-tier competition, and I'm worried about some off-the-field red flags. Unless he has legitimate concerns about these two kids and believes, without a doubt, neither of these two kids is not a franchise quarterback, 
the Jets should draft a quarterback at number two. They should not think twice. They should draft a quarterback at number two, and they should take Sam Darnold and trade him to the highest bidder. It doesn't matter where. Send him for a two and a five. Send him to a three and a five. Send him to something like that. But you move on from Sam Darnold. You start it all back, and you run it all back with a guy you believe has more potential. You're going to be on a rookie contract for four more years, and you can really start this thing from scratch. What was a major statement from the Jets, I think, is that Christopher, again, singing all the right tunes, came out and said, I'm going to, I like Sam as a person. I believe Sam Darnold can be a franchise quarterback. I believe his best football is ahead of me, but it doesn't matter. That's what he said, basically. He said, it doesn't matter what I think, because I'm deferring everything to Joe, the general manager and the coach that we pick. And what's going to happen, which again, is exactly what we've been saying on this podcast should happen for the last three months, is that the Jets should go into this offseason. And they should find their new head coach. That's step one. Interview all these guys. Find the guys they want. Say, this is the coach I want. Bring him in. And then the first meeting they have is they have uh, uh, the head coach here, Joe Douglas here. If Jaime and Christopher want to be in the room, fine. But those guys sit there and they say, okay, new head coach, Brian Dable. What do you think of Sam Darnold? Lay it all out. Talk for hours about him. The things he can do. The things he can't do. What he believes if you can give him this. What he'll do if you give him that. Yada, yada, yada. Blah, blah, blah. Then say, okay. What do you think of Fields and Wilson? And then based off of those discussions, both Joe Douglas's collegiate evaluation and his staff's collegiate evaluation and the head coach's opinion on Sam Darnold and what he can get out of Sam Darnold compared to Fields and what he can get out of Fields and Wilson you get out of Fields, that decides what you're going to do a quarterback at number two. I've seen enough Sam Darnold. I'll be honest with you. I've seen enough. I, I've seen three years of this guy try to play quarterback and Based off of what I've seen for three years, especially this year, I don't know how you pass on Fields or Wilson. Not, not or like putting them both together. Not, oh, you can pass on Wilson, but not Fields. Or, oh, you can pass on Fields, but not Wilson. No, I don't know how you pass up either of those guys based off of what you've seen from Sam Darnold the last three years, specifically this season. Because I just don't know how you can trust that decision-making. I don't know how you can trust that any, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how you can say, I'm going to pass up on the highest draft pick I have had since 1996 because I think I might have a solid quarterback in Sandra. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it unless you don't believe Wilson and, and Fields are franchise quarterbacks. And based off of what I've seen from Wilson and Fields and based off of that Clemson game, you take one of those two guys. And and I will say this. I, I If you guys want, this is honest, because like, a lot of people were like, Oh, well, based off of what Fields did against Clemson, that made him a franchise quarterback, right? Like Fields is Fields is a, a friend. He's the, he's the number two pick, no doubt, because he let up Clemson. That's not necessarily the case. Clemson doesn't have the best defense. They have a good defense. They're not the elite premium defense. I'll tell you right now, if Fields has a game against Alabama, and you can put my name on this, if Fields has a game against Alabama, not you can't expect what he did to Clemson. Like that's that was a, a once like once in a college lifetime outing. Like he was just on fire. But if he goes out against Alabama and forget win or loss, but he throws three touchdowns, no picks, like three hundred yards, three hundred and fifty yards, or he keeps Ohio State in that game. If if Fields has another game against Ohio State where you're like, wow, he's a Jets pick. Jets gonna pick him. Hundred percent Jets will pick him. Absolutely. If he performs against Alabama like he did against Clemson, he will be the Jets quarterback two thousand twenty one. Not Wilson. Not, not obviously not Lawrence, it will be Fields. If he plays against Alabama like he did Clemson or has a really, really good game against Alabama and that Alabama defense and that Alabama team, which is might be the best Alabama team that, that Saban's had in a good long while, he will be the number two pick in the NFL draft without a doubt, no doubt. 
All right, I think that's going to uh, do it. I'm going to start a new segment right here, impromptu, Connor. You can uh, uh-huh. weigh in if you like this or not. But uh-huh. best comment from the chat. We're going to try to pull the best one each week. Well, there's a um, lot in here. I'm looking. At, we got like we uh, look at this. Like we have like 600, almost 700 people in here, and like there's a lot of chats. All right, I saw this one, and I think it's the clear winner for the first ever award here for best chat. Uh, the blue, the big blue knight says. Marissa has ultra, ultra final say over Connor's comments. <laughs> I like the Johnson. That's good. She was. The funny is Marissa was actually tweeting for me, but I didn't realize Marissa was tweeting for me. So we were double tweeting for a while. I don't know if that worked. I mean, this, this has been a pretty, pretty. Uh, you also tweeted ex- the wrong link and I had to delete that. Yeah. The she, life of. She runs it. <laughs> the runs life of Connor it. Hughes. But we appreciate everybody for joining. It's been great. And we will keep you all covered as we continue this coaching search for sure. Do we know what the game plan is for like this? Uh, oh, I know for coaching search, but we know what the game plan is now that we're in the off season. Yes. How does that work with podcasting? The, are we, do you guys know this? Good are, question. We, are we breaking news? We're going to go. We well, we'll news? be back later this week because I think we're going to have a lot of information coming out. So more than likely we'll yeah. be back later this week. Uh, then breaking we'll probably. News, Donna, we, should have it, we should have a sound effect. Right. Place. We'll probably. <laughs> we'll probably be going once a week until they find themselves okay. a head coach. And then once every couple weeks, probably into the, uh, the okay. rest of the off season. Um, you know, when things are. Busier, we'll, we'll be busier. Around the draft, free agency, we'll be here. So throughout the offseason, when there is news, we'll be here uh, bringing you all of it uh, through Can't Wait on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, and also, if you want to join The Athletic, you can do that right now. Go to theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait podcast right now. $3.99 per month. You can join for $3.99 per month, theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. The uh, future of the Jets now... Up in the air as they look for their new coach.